Hello, welcome to Healthy Disruptions, a podcast about health and health inequities across our diverse communities in Southern California. In this podcast, we speak with community members, students, researchers, and leadership to bring you the real experts on health disparities. Join us each month as we discuss local issues as they are happening and highlight members of our communities who are seeking better health for themselves and their communities. Hello everyone, and welcome to Healthy Disruptions, the podcast that's all about tackling pressing health disparities. This episode will cover homelessness and how it impacts our own community. Get ready to dive deep into this important topic because we're about to uncover some eye-opening truths. We had the pleasure of interviewing Eddie Ortiz from the Riverside Housing Authority, who was the lead for the outreach team. Despite facing numerous life obstacles, Eddie persevered and came out stronger than ever. He will be sharing his life-moving story with us and opening up about the life-altering lessons that homelessness taught him and how this has helped him provide quality services for the unsheltered in the Riverside County community. But before we get into that, let's talk a little bit more about homelessness. You see, homelessness isn't just a label. It's a journey that individuals endure and it certainly doesn't define who they are as people. Believe it or not, we encounter homelessness in our daily lives more often than we realize. Picture this, waiting at a bus stop, strolling into a convenience store, or even fueling up at a gas station. It's all around us. Brace yourself for this staggering fact. Each night, over half a million people in the United States find themselves without a home. And guess where things are particularly hard? Yep, you guessed it, California takes the spotlight accounting for a whopping half of all unsheltered individuals in the entire country. Our own community is being affected too. The city of Riverside alone is home to 25% of the unsheltered population in the entire Riverside County area. So get ready to explore this crucial issue with us. It's time to shake things up and make a difference on healthy disruptions. I'm Stephanie Sandoval. I'm the health educator at the University of California Riverside Center for Healthy Communities. I'm also the lead for our center's unsheltered outreach program that focuses on serving the health needs of our unsheltered community within the city of Riverside. I'll be your host for today and joining me is co-host Sergio. Hey everyone, my name is Sergio Gastelum. I am a California medicine scholar at the University of California Riverside and I am interning for the Centers for Healthy Communities aiding in the needs of the Healthy Disruption podcast. in San Bernardino County, as you both said, up 12% here in Riverside County. Homelessness in Riverside County is rising at an alarming rate. Um, I'm really glad that you're here with us today, and I really look forward to you sharing your knowledge with me today and with our listeners about your experience working with those experiencing homelessness in particular. Can you start off by telling us a little bit about yourself, who you are, where you grew up, and your own experience with homelessness? All right. Well, myself, I'm uh, shoot. Where do I start? Uh, well, I'll be 54 this year. Uh, had many challenges. Um, I work for the housing authority. Um, let's see. I'm a. I'm a. Uh, 
you know, a religious believer, mm -hmm. you know, um, through my homelessness, I found my way. Um, I got like six grandkids, you know, um, I live in the San Jacinto area, you know, um, that's pretty much it about myself. Awesome. And how did it all start? Um, what triggered? The homelessness? Mm -hmm. When I was homeless back in 1992 uh, uh, or 91, I had got out of jail. Mm -hmm. And then since family kind of disowned me mm -hmm. just because of everything I was into, um, caused my homelessness. Mm -hmm. So I went into like a, a Christian men's home. And because half of that, half of me wanted it, half mm -hmm. of me didn't. So I wasn't fully dedicated. Mm -hmm. But so I must have got kicked out about seven times, learning the hard way, back on the streets, uh, getting into drugs, alcohol, running the streets. Um, so this went from about 92 to about 97 mm -hmm. that I was running the streets and being homeless and then my 97, my three-year-old got killed by the Metro. So when that happened, I actually gave my life back to rededicated, mm -hmm. but then it took me, I, I still wasn't fully, fully committed. Mm -hmm. So then um, I, I was just, I stood homeless because I didn't want to deal with life. I didn't want to deal with people. Mm -hmm. I was, I was, I was like angry, angry at God. Like why, why, why? Somebody told me you can never ask why. Did a whole investigation. I was on channel 13, channel, it was all over the news. Mm -hmm. So that just took me for a ride. I didn't want to deal with, I blacked out. I didn't want to deal with anybody. I was in and out of hospitals. They tried to code me as 5150, 5250. They, they coded me so much, but they had me so much medicated that I couldn't remember who I was. And then uh, after that, uh, I got out and then I, and then I had a couple mentors, mentors who were spiritual believers, who were actually pastors. Um, and then I went into a home and they just kept every day just visiting me, visiting me, reminding me who I was, reminding me it's okay, reminding me. And I was still muffled. I always tell people, you ever hear Charlie Brown's teacher? <laughs> whoa, whoa, whoa. That's how I heard everybody. Because it was either like, you know, you're either going to go to hell, you're not get your life right, or you're no good, or this and that. And none of that I didn't want to hear. Mm -hmm. If it was negative, I didn't want to deal with it. Mm -hmm. And then when they would tell me, well, I, I understand you lost a child, and I would, I would shoot back to them and say, did you lose a child? They mm -hmm. would say, no, I said, then don't talk to me because mm -hmm. you don't know. So people were there trying to help, but I avoided that because I didn't yeah. want it. Mm -hmm. And uh, being homeless, I still had a job and everything, but just... I lived in my car, I lived in the streets um, to keep myself numb mm -hmm. and didn't want to deal with everything. I stayed drugged up. Um, I had to just do that just to cope. Mm -hmm. and, and still, I mean, some, some people can take it and still be on their normal day. Yeah. And that's how I was. But I just ignored everybody, tried to figure everything out myself. Mm -hmm. And then um, it got to the point to where I tried to, I tried to kill myself four times. It didn't, you could see it didn't succeed. And, uh, you know, I was in a, a ETS before. I was, I was just in maybe three facilities. 
that the actual doctors didn't see that I was a harm to myself. They just see that I needed some type of help. Mm -hmm. So after taking therapy and then getting the best, the best therapy I got was spiritual advice. And I started doing that slowly and slowly. Mm -hmm. And then um, once I became homeless, it was like four years straight uh, being out there in the street. Because you, once you're homeless, you cope to whatever's out there. You mm -hmm. cope to the street. You cope to everybody. It's like it's like a big gang. It's like a big family. Mm -hmm. Now, mind you, some people want to stay there. Mm -hmm. Some people don't. I wanted to get out, but I didn't know how. I didn't have the help. I didn't yeah. have the the resources. And the people who were trying to help me, I wasn't accepting. Mm -hmm. You know, and um, so that's when I got myself into another men's home and trying to really, you know, focus on my spiritual life mm -hmm. and uh, just having people love, showing me love that I've never had before. Mm -hmm. And that's what kind of helped me through the process. And then um, I had some type of income. Then I didn't really have income. But then I got into uh, uh, actually the city of Riverside helped me um, with an actual like voucher program, put me in a place. And then still, but still then I had to get into some type of recovery. I got totally healed from that mm -hmm. because they took me through a bunch of stuff that I never, I had to like write letters to my daughter who died, go back to the accident. Mm -hmm. um, they, they just get your mind and clear, which I never knew that that existed. So um, that helped me out a lot. And slowly but surely, I started getting back on my feet. And um, it's been, what, almost 24, 25 years being clean. After doing that, I got my own place on a voucher program mm -hmm. and having therapy still going on and counselors. Mm -hmm. And uh, now I'm a, uh, I'm a, I'm an actual pastor of a church. Each and I had two men's homes in Riverside. So going from where I was at to where I'm at now, it was on, on, only because I found my way back home with God. That was it. Any, anything else I couldn't do, you know. And that's really awesome that now you're a mentor. Yeah. You started off, um, you know, seeking that support. And you you mentioned yourself that you didn't want that in the beginning. But now you, like, from your experience, you're able to go out there now. And yeah. you know from their perspective how to give them that support. Yeah. When to be there for them and when to back off, like, when they don't want that help. Yeah, exactly. Okay, so, Eddie, I think me and our listeners would like to know if you can describe a turning point in your life that helped you transition out of homelessness and find stability. What helped me transition, uh, the key factors was family. Mm -hmm. I had to think about I wasn't only hurting myself, I was hurting my other, my, my actual wife and kids. Mm -hmm. So what helped me was like, if I see somebody tear up, that just breaks my heart. But because I was so selfish in my ways, I had to turn that around and listen to like other men older than me and say, hey, you got to get it right. Yeah. But like I said, I needed a helping hand. So what transition was, I just uh, got back on my feet, started going to church, started continue going to therapy, continue going to meetings. Because mm -hmm. there's, there's nothing you can do by yourself. Yeah. And if I didn't have the mentors in my life, I wouldn't have transitioned over uh, 
that was my turning point. My turning point was I still have other people to care for. And if I'm selfish in my ways, the way I want to be, but I'm hurting multiple family members, whether it was that siblings, all of them, you know, and um, that got me out of the homelessness. And ever since then, I've I've haven't been homeless. I was homeless four times, mm-hmm. but it's a such an ugly feeling. It's mm-hmm. an ugly feeling, man. Because I mean, when you see people walk by you and. You know that you got family members at home eating a nice dinner or doing this, man. You really, you you feel freaking disgusting, you know? Mm-hmm. And so uh, what transitioned, I had to think about others and not just be selfish in myself. And if there's help out there, people trying to help me, I need to accept it. Yeah. Okay, so I know you mentioned your spirituality. Did your spirituality, so like God, have anything to do with you transitioning out of homelessness? God? Oh, number one. The main one that I had to learn how to give myself back to him because in the end I served him before 97 when I rededicated but mm-hmm. I just left and a lot of people that don't understand uh, spiritually those ways they're not going to understand the way I transitioned mm-hmm. but that that was the only way I could have changed only way and you see I mean as many and I I try to run my car through a wall. I try to like, like down bottles of pills, just to just to be done, and, all, and nothing succeeded. So that that's what helped me big time. I got I got into what God had to offer, and it's the best gift I can tell anybody they can ever receive. That's why I'm able to help others now, help others, give them a little bit of my experience, and help them along the way. I can't give up on nobody. And you touched a little bit on how people would look at you when you would be walking and how it would make you feel. I know a lot of people have prejudice towards individuals who are homeless. And personally, I've heard a lot of people say um, that people just want to live this way, right? What's the misconception there? How deep does that really go? It does go because some people have been out there 10, 15 years, 20 years that they're so adapt to it. Mm-hmm. They don't want to deal with society. They don't want to mm-hmm. deal with having responsibility. Mm-hmm. They don't want to deal with people. Even though you have the income, you don't want to deal with, say, you're comfortable in your zone. Yeah. And you don't want no help from nobody. And, you know, you, you sometimes you can't blame them because mm-hmm. they've been in shelters. They've been in housing. They've been let down somewhere, yeah. point in their life. Me, I was somebody who wanted to change. Yeah. I just didn't know how. Mm-hmm. And once I got that help, I seen how good this side was mm-hmm. to that side. Because all that side was was taking me for destruction. The more I was homeless, the more I was weak, the more I was on drugs, the more I was drinking, mm-hmm. the more I hated people, the more I'd fight, the more I just had so much anger than anything. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't helping me. Yeah. You know? mm-hmm. I have a question. Do you think that mental health problems would contribute to homelessness? Yes, definitely. That's number one right there. And they don't know how to get that help. Like I said, they quoted me 5150, 5250s like the worst. What does that mean? 5150 is when uh, you're talking to somebody mm-hmm. and they're just out there. They're not answering your questions correctly mm-hmm. or they try to commit suicide or they're just standing at the wall, talking to the wall. Or, you know, they're just acting off-key. That's 5150. 
5250 is when you really try to do some damage. Either you're trying to kill somebody, hurt somebody, or really damage yourself in many ways. That's 5250. And you can't be, if you get coded on that and you go to a hospital, someday, they hold you for like 72 hours till they evaluate. But once they evaluated me, it was the medication that got me. I wasn't like that till they put me on medication, thinking it was gonna help me, but it made me worse than I ever was. So that that was what I had to find because when I started taking the medicine, I started getting addicted. Because mm -hmm. I was on one, I was like on five medicines at one time. That's mm -hmm. what got me to the point to where I was. Until I said, no more. The best medicine is Jesus juice. <laughs> you know? So I, I learned the hard way, but then I learned the easy way. That's why I have a heart to help people. And I tell a lot of people in this field, if you don't have it to help somebody else, you're not going to succeed. People are just going to aggravate you. You're not going to know how to approach somebody. And when somebody says just leave them alone, they're going through something. Mm -hmm. There's a reason why people are homeless. Something, some trauma in their life has happened. Mm -hmm. That's why I tell people never did. They tell you leave them alone, back off, come back 24 hours later or come back five hours later. Mm -hmm. They might be in a better situation. Because that's how I was. Mm -hmm. yeah. And we really wanted to address that because we want to talk about the different options and the resources available. And can you tell us a little bit about the work that you do at um, the Riverside County Yeah, Housing the kind of work I do now is I'm an outreach lead navigator. Mm -hmm. I go out, I speak to homeless. Mm -hmm. As I'm talking to them, I do assessments. I ask them what are their needs. Mm -hmm. If they say they want recovery, I get them into recovery. If they say they want housing, I said, it's a process. How can you help me help you? Mm -hmm. And when they say, well, I don't have this, I don't have an ID, I don't have, we give them ID vouchers. We, we transport to Social Security office. We help them get their birth certificates. We help them get back on their feet and show them that there's a good way. And then we can actually house them mm -hmm. even if they have no income. We can, we can house them, but we, we have to pretty much outreach it's going out there caring for the individual and let mm -hmm. them know, hey, there's somebody here who can help you. Yeah. You know, so that's 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 what we, all the resources, any uh, organizations that have resources, they all have rapid rehousing. Mm -hmm. You can apply for a unit because every outreach team, no matter where, like here at the housing door, I navigate for my client. Mm -hmm. I, I advocate for them. Saying, well, I'm going to put you in a unit, but I'm still going to case manage you for eight months. Mm -hmm. I'm not just going to leave. Because being on the street, getting housed, mm -hmm. you can't expect somebody to all automatically know how to start paying yep. bills and start mm -hmm. doing this on their own. You have to case manage them for six months. Mm -hmm. And that's what we do. We give them hope. We still connect them with behavior health. Mm -hmm. Behavior health is for mental, whether it's anxiety, depression. They have group therapies. They have very good support. So you're letting the individual know. Once you're housed, we're not giving up on you. We're going to go along the process and get you where you need to go. And I know a lot of these resources are obviously different. What are the requirements for a lot of them? Like, do some folks have more advantages than others? Like, for example, if you're a veteran, is there more direct like for, services? For a veteran, if they have honorable discharge, which means they, they've done all their years in the military, that's mm -hmm. honorable, you can house them anyway. quick. Like they go through the bash, they go through Loma Linda Hospital to sign up for the, um, for the for the eligibility. Once they sign up for that, they connect them to an outreach VA rep mm -hmm. who gets them squared away, which is the same process that we do, but it's through the VA. 
Uh, they have to have ID. Anybody has to have ID, social. Mm -hmm. uh, if they have a disability, it's fine. Okay. We can still house them with mm -hmm. zero income because there's so many programs, so many resources right now, so much funding mm -hmm. that we never tell somebody, I can't do nothing for you. No, we guarantee that we're going to get them off the street and house, but they have to want it. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. And you mentioned the outreach is a lot. Um, like you said, they don't know about these resources, so you're actually going out there like almost every single day, right? Yes. When we've gone out before and we've accompanied you, I noticed that you're very familiar with the Santa Ana River Bottom area. Yeah. How long did it take for you guys to build that relationship with those people that it, are in that area? It took a while because there's so many different organizations that go down there, Path mm -hmm. of Life, uh, uh, other organizations, so it's hard for them when somebody says they're going to do mm -hmm. something, then they don't with mm -hmm. the next one going. So we just kind of like sit there, talk with them. Don't offer them resource right away. We sit there, talk to them, get to know them, mm -hmm. give them some food, some water. Mm -hmm. And then after a while, say, hey, you know what? How long have you been down here? You know, that like kind of mm -hmm. kind of like become their friend yeah. and get to get that trust. And then tell them, you know what? What are you looking for? I can help you get out of here. Do you want it? Mm -hmm. And they'll say, well, I've tried, but I can't because of this and that. Well, we tell them, don't worry about that. We'll take care of that. We're going to get you housed if you really want it. And that's what that's what we do every, three days a week. Awesome. Yeah. And um, what are some health issues that you notice the most with the um, individuals who are experiencing homelessness down at the Santa Ana River Bottom? The most like prevalent health issues that you um, noticed? They just, a, a lot of them are just doped up. A lot of them are just drugged out. Mm -hmm. um, some of them not, but most of them are. And mm -hmm. that's why we behavior health, we offer them behavior health so they can get cleaned up or we'll take them to the sober center here in Riverside mm -hmm. to get cleaned up. So our goal is to go down there, continue talking to them, continue to know them, continue to outreach with them until they're willing to say, you know what, I'm ready. Because mm -hmm. they have to be ready. We can't force yeah. nobody to do anything. They have to be willing and ready. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I have one more question. Okay. So mm -hmm. I'm like kind of assuming that people are like mobile down in the river. They're not always like in one place. Sometimes they get kicked out. How are you like tracking this? Like, how are you tracking their movement? Um, there's always different organizations that are in contact with the same individuals. Mm -hmm. So if there's somewhere where I meet them and then I can't find them, I'll reach out to another HC or I'll just go talk to the other homeless and they'll tell me exactly where they're at. Mm -hmm. You know, it's not hard for them to find. Once everybody gets to know you, oh yeah, he just moved to the other side. So we'll track him real quick. So it's kind of like a tight-knit community then? Yeah. Okay. We get to know the community because that's its own community mm -hmm. down there, man. She knows, but they get to know us. They know us real well, man. And anybody I want to find, they know I'm there to help. Mm -hmm. So they'll give me info. I say, yeah, they're over here, man, because they had to move for some location. So but I never give up until the day I go home with Jesus. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Eddie, no um, for your time today. I learned so much from you about your life and your experiences and how you think of them from your perspective. I know that everyone listening really does appreciate what you had to say today. Yes, this was great. Thank you for listening to Healthy Disruptions and a special thanks to Belzar Music for the making of our intro and outro music. This podcast was produced by the Community Engagement and Dissemination Corps of the Center for Health Disparities Research 
in collaboration with the Center for Healthy Communities at the University of California, Riverside School of Medicine. This episode's content was developed by our team. For more information and the show notes for this episode, you can also visit our website at healthydisruptions.buzzsprout.com. And we'll see you next time for some more Healthy Disruptions.